0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in I'm Matt Leon and this is One on One I always told my assistants and this is
1: how I approached the job, I said, I want you to approach the job as you are the head coach Treat it like every decision is yours. There was such a trust with Phil and myself that he gave me a lot of rope. I could never ask for more But he trusted me in every regard, so I enjoyed every day.
0: And our guest this week is Dave Duda, the athletic director at Delaware Valley University in Doylestown. He has had success at several different levels across the Philadelphia area as a basketball coach and now doing the AD thing. And Dave, thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Uh, Anytime, Matt. Glad to spend some time with you.
0: So you are the athletic director, Delaware Valley University, a Division three school with uh, a lot of high quality programs. How has we'll talk about the pandemic in a second, but overall, uh, you've been on the job now, uh, you know, about a year and a quarter. How's it gone? It's
1: been it's been great, Matt. You know, it's been great to be back uh, back on the administrative side. Certainly uh, a little bit easier with a place that I've been so familiar with and um, some of the same names were here, which certainly helped a whole lot. And uh, I just wish we were in normal times because I was looking forward to us having a, uh, take another step forward as a department uh, with a lot of our programs in year two, now that I had a better lay of the land and a feel for everything. And then uh, obviously the pandemic interrupted a lot. So um, a lot of things that I was looking forward to because I thought we were taking a lot of steps in, in some positive directions.
0: I'm not going to ask how much of a challenge has this all been in the times of COVID-19 because it's obviously been a huge one, but how difficult is it? This is something I'm guessing there's not really an administrative playbook for, for how to handle this. So I'm every day, a new adventure.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, I think the, 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 hardest part of this, Matt is, you know, when you, when you sit in my chair, you're someone who has to provide answers. And people look to you for guidance. And then, you know, coaches are creatures of habit. Student athletes are creatures of habit. They like a schedule. They like to know what they're doing, when they're doing it. And I feel so bad because the best answer that I give most of the time is I don't know. And I hate giving that answer, but it's it's the truthful answer because uh, this changes daily. It changes on the fly. You plan, you plan, you plan like we did in the fall. We planned and planned and planned all summer and it never materialized. And, and that's, that's frustrating. It's frustrating for coaches. It's frustrating for student athletes. But so much of this is out of your hands. So uh, the not being able to provide clear answers from my chair is very, very frustrating.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your career overall. You made a lot of hay as a basketball coach, basketball player. Was basketball always the main focus growing up or were you a kid that played uh, everything in the neighborhood?
1: I played all the sports and then, you know, when I got when I got into uh, the high school sports, certainly realized that, you know, basketball was my ticket and that's what I wanted to play. And then, uh, you know, the coaching bug was always uh, in me and that was my first love. And then when I got to Widener, certainly got to see the administrative side of things, being an assistant athletic director for half my time there and the other half being the AD. Uh, so I always liked that part of it. And to leave Widener, really, to chase my my ultimate goal was always to be a, a Division One head coach, and I knew I needed to go as an assistant to take that step. And uh, but uh, the whole time, I always liked leading. Leading was always a, a thing that I liked. And and when this opportunity arose at Delaware Valley, um, after you know an unfortunate end at St. Joseph's. I was glad this came up and uh, you know, it certainly changed a lot because the, the combination of being a head coach and an AD isn't that prevalent anymore uh, because all of the layers that go uh, with the AD job now. So, and I could see it, I could see how it changed uh, just in that time uh, period that I was at St. Joe's, how that AD role has changed. So, um, but, I, but I, I was uh, very happy to be back uh, in this role.
0: What's your earliest basketball memory, growing up?
1: Wow, it's a great question. I think I think um, my first memory was probably playing in a in a YMCA league. I remember my coach; his, his name was Coach Baker. I was probably about six or seven uh, at the time, and uh, he was the first coach. And a lot of my coaches will laugh at this, but at that age, I could shoot it probably better than a lot of the kids I played against. And he just said, "Keep shooting it." And uh, it kind of stuck, stuck with me my entire career, but I can remember him back. That was probably my earliest memory, uh, probably at the age of six.
0: Are you playing basketball with an eye towards, you know, playing in high school, and playing in college? Or when does it go from just something you're doing, you know, for fun to something that you think, you know what, maybe I can, you know, make a run in this uh, in one way or another?
1: Well, I think I was very fortunate, uh, Matt, much more so than others at that time, because my high school coach, people don't realize the connection, but my high school coach was Phil Martelli when he was a high school coach at Bishop Kemen. And uh, he was so ahead of the game at that time. We, he really ran our high school program like a college program, and it was really dog-eat-dog. Dog. Like, I would work out with the varsity when I was in eighth grade, and you just got thrown to the wolves, and it was a really good program. and You either learned how to compete or you never got on the court. And that's a different setting than a lot of people um, are exposed to at such a young age. So I was really fortunate to have just terrific coaching in high school. And, you know, then and and it worked the same way when I started my college career, you know, to start with Herb McGee, who's in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's just you're so ahead of the curve when you have those type of mentors really showing you the way.
0: So you played at Bishop Kenrick. You went to Bishop Kenrick, correct? Yep. So you mentioned playing for Phil Martelli, and obviously you've coached with him on his staff for years. How did Phil Martelli that you had at Bishop Kenrick differ from the Phil Martelli we know from St. Joe's?
1: Uh, It's drastic, and you would laugh because he he really – does not like to talk about the high school Phil Martelli because he was a lot different than the college Phil Martelli. I mean, he does not to give you the the difference. In all my time at St. Joe's, we never ran a suicide. He doesn't believe in running and anything like that. Yet, when I was in high school, if you sneezed the wrong way, you ran a suicide and you ran until your tongue fell out. You know, and he always says to me, he "Goes, I don't even know if I could have kept my job. Some of the things I did." you know, in the eighties coaching in high school that I do now. So, you know, but he's grown a whole lot. You got to remember, you know, probably when he coached me in high school, I don't know, he might've been 28, 29 years old as a head coach. So you certainly learn throughout the processes, but you know, he, the person was the same and he was such a great coach in high school and obviously in college. So, um, but he just changed, but times changed as well. Uh, it was just a different way of coaching back then. And, uh, you know, when we did something wrong in high school and got yelled at by the coach, our parents would say, the coach is right. Go back there and listen to him. You know, that's changed a little bit, Matt. That's not, that's not exactly the way it works anymore. Everybody doesn't share that same philosophy. So time certainly changes as well.
0: What kind of player were you in high school? How would you describe your game?
1: Uh, you know, I was, a, I was a scoring two guard and, um, you know, I made first team All-Catholic as a uh, as a senior in a very, very good league, and then um, was recruited by a number of uh, universities, and I ended up going to an NAI school, Spring Garden College, because that was the best package financially for me. I, sh- I just missed scoring 2,000 points in college, uh, was the all-time leading scorer at uh, Spring Garden, which I'm the only one that can say that record can never be broken because the school closed. So uh, that, that record will remain. Um, so, But my game was always centered around uh, scoring the ball. Uh, on on the particular teams that I was on,
0: and you mentioned the coaching bug. Once your college days are over, it, do you know that I'm gonna I'm gonna be a coach one way or another?
1: Yeah, you, you know, Matt. At that time, there weren't as many opportunities to to go play overseas and that that type of thing that there are today. So it wasn't really a thought, but I knew like my playing days were over. But what can I do to? um what can I do to coach? And I met coach McGee through the recruiting process when I was a high school player. And, uh, when I got out, I was fortunate right away to be able to get a job on his staff. And, um, you know, that was like, that was like advanced basketball. That was, that was, there's, there's no one who teaches the game better, uh, than him. And, uh, you know, to be under him for seven years and have the run that we had there. Uh, but in addition to that, whether, whether it was winning or not, just, just, what i was able to learn from him uh in terms of of basketball and his philosophies just gave me another perspective um that i used in a lot of my, my a lot of my uh stays after that
0: did you realize at the time cuz you're young who you were getting the chance to to learn on the sideline with i mean you knew he was a good coach you he'd re- recruiting all but did it take a while to kind of hit you like what you're getting a front row seat to?
1: You know, you know, that's one of those things you you, you never know what you had till you till you don't have it anymore. And that's when, uh, you know, when I when I became my own head coach, you got to remember my first job, I took over Delaware Valley. They were 0 and 23. Uh, and just just having a halftime lead was hard to do. And you realize, wow, that guy wins like 25 games like every year by accident and how easy it was for him to win. Now it's not easy to win any game. Like he would tell you that, but you realize when you look back after you're gone and go, wow, what he's able to do on a yearly basis. um, It's incredible. Like I, I actually looked one time at his record when he went past the thousand win mark. And I said, he can actually coach another 20 years and not win a game and be over 500. And to think like an over 500 coach is considered pretty good. He could not win a game for another 20 years and he'd still be over 500. It's just staggering. Um, but I'm glad he got his recognition being in the Hall of Fame, which lower level coaches don't get because he's truly, truly at that elite level.
0: I saw somewhere that the time you were an assistant there, you guys went at, at Philadelphia University, now Jefferson, 171 up, 35 down. What was it like? when you win like that is it difficult to keep the edge because I and as someone who I do a lot of Jefferson games there are certain nights that you're just so much better than the other team you're going to win how hard is it to keep keep an edge for the kids and all when you're having that type of high level success
1: you know Matt I think with him it started with He he wants that in practice every day. Like, it's you know, everybody always gets on him because he only plays five guys, maybe six. And, you know, every day in practice, he would take the five starters and maybe the sixth man. And he would give me players seven through 12 and we would scrimmage. And he wasn't happy unless his his team won by 30 because they should win by 30. And he demanded that every day. And that kind of carried over to how we played. In every single game. And, you know, when I look back at that period, you know, he's had some great periods, but that run was ridiculous. And the fact that you know, I think he passed the 500 and 600 win mark during that time. And we also won 80 consecutive home games during that time. So when you win 80 straight, you know, you almost get to a point like you just don't expect to lose. And it it, it really got that way. We felt so comfortable playing. And not that, you know, obviously we, we, we were winning on the road a lot. But at home, you felt invincible. You really did. You felt like you know, no matter of close game, tight game, it's it's going to go our way. But I, I'm literally saying, like he he practiced that every every day. And uh, you know, I just try to do my best to keep the second team in a scrimmage. Um, but he that's how he wanted it, and uh, it certainly carried over.
0: Biggest thing you learned from him?
1: I would say that he was so good at getting the right players, the shots, like every, you know, he's, he's thought of as like this shooting doctor and everything like that, but yeah, he let good shooters shoot. Like not every kid on our roster was a good shooter and they weren't allowed to shoot the ball, but he was so good at um, getting the right guys, the right shot at the right time and how he did that. He was so technical in his teaching. This is what he was great at. If the play said, Take five steps and cut on a 45 degree angle to the elbow. You took that many steps and you cut on that angle to the elbow. You didn't catch it two steps above the elbow. you didn't catch it above, below the elbow. you caught it on the elbow. and we practiced that until it looked like that. So when people say, man, his offense, you know the, it, it, it's impeccably the way it runs yeah that's how we practiced it. and that's what that, that was the beauty of him that was that was his strength.
0: Do you have a Herb McGee story you can share with us? Because I think everybody I know that has worked with him, worked around him, worked for him has at least one.
1: I will have to give you the clean version of this story, but it, this is my favorite story with him. People love when I tell this story. So it was um, when I first started in the league, the league has changed, but uh, the big rival game used to be uh, textile and Ganon. And if anybody doesn't realize, when you go to Erie, Pennsylvania, they they filled that arena with every town's person. It was four, you played in front of 4,000 people. And there was a time when I got there, Herb had said, man, we hadn't won in Gannon in like forever. We just hadn't won. And when you went, you had travel partners. So we played Gannon and Mercyhurst back to back. So we were playing Gannon first. And I'll never forget this because Eddie Malloy, who's now an NBA uh, referee, he transferred from St. Joe's and it was his first game after break. And we were going to Gannon. We had a really good team. And, um, you know, I, I did everything I could with the scattering port. Everything went according to plan. We win the game. We have an unbelievable win. And um, after the game, you know, Herb and I go have a couple of drinks, and he went, now, "I got to tell you, that was terrific. That was an unbelievable job you did tonight. I felt so good about myself." So the next day, we play Mercyhurst, who has four wins. It should be a game that we should win going away. The opposite happens. It's one of the, one of those days where nothing's going right. We we can't get over the hump. We have like a five-point lead the whole game. They keep coming at us, keep coming at us, keep coming at us. He looks at me in the second half on the bench, and he goes, what do you got? And I said, I got to tell you, I got nothing. And he goes, you know what? You're about as useful as my blank. And you can imagine the body part that he was referring to at that time. So he went from the night before telling me how great I was to that. He snapped that comment out right on the bench. We ended up pulling out the win, but um, that was just – you know, that was Terb, you know, the people who know him, that, that's how he talks. And uh, I always laugh with him about that particular story.
0: When do you start? I mean, you obviously, you know, you want to be a head coach. But when do you start thinking, I'm ready and I want to pursue an opportunity? Is it when the, the Del Val job comes along? Or had you started thinking a, a few years before that, you know what, I feel like I can take the next step?
1: I think it was both. I think he, he always told me, you know, he thought I was ready a lot earlier than that. you got to remember back in those days, Matt, the division one level did not have the amount of positions that they have now. So you didn't have a video coordinator. You didn't have an operations director. You either had one of those assistant jobs or you didn't get them. So they were a lot harder to come by. Uh, there weren't as many full time division two assistant jobs. So when the DelVal job opened up, he, he literally said to me, he goes, look, I think you can get it, no problem, but I'm not sure you want to take that. He goes, are you sure? And even when I told him I want to take it, he still said, look, I think you could get something better somewhere down the line. But I looked at it as um, I, I knew how hard I was going to work at the job. I knew it was in the area. I knew I could keep all the recruiting contacts. And uh, there was certainly nowhere to go from up, even though it was a really challenging conference that I was going into.
0: So you take over Del Valley, and you mentioned earlier, you're taking over a group that's 0-23, and, and you just spent, you know, close to a decade losing maybe once every six months. How tough, even though you know what you're getting into, how tough is that mentally at first, as you guys are improving, but you you've got to deal with losing at a level that you hadn't dealt with in a long time.
1: Yeah, I think my wife would probably answer that one better for you. She did not like that first year very much. Um, but I would say, you know, we when I got the job, I think it was late March, and uh, we had to replace this roster. And we got a lot of guys, but they were more warm bodies than they were basketball players. And I thought I was very proud of that team, though. My first year at DelVal, we won four games, but – we had the lead at halftime in 13 of our 24 games. So I thought that team did a great job of carrying out scouting report. They just couldn't finish at the end. And then obviously year two, when we had a whole year to recruit, that's that's when it turned. But I I thought the staff and the players did a great job in that first year of just trying to be competitive. And certainly they were the guys who started to change the culture a bit.
0: We talk about dealing with losing, but on the other side, you're taking over a winless team. So, I would guess every coach puts pressure on themselves, but you're, you're starting basically from ground zero. How much did that help that there's really only up to go?
1: Yeah. And I, you know, we never even brought it up in, in recruiting because I I think the people in the area knew where I was coming from. And I had won before and, you know, I just used the same line. Look, I I didn't have a thing to do with that record or the performance of that other team. So I think when you have a clean slate, everybody looks at you, uh, in that way. and, And, um, you know it didn't take long like I said it 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 um, it, it, it changed but uh, I felt there were times I felt for that first team because we were just a little bit outmanned on nights.
0: Time for a break on one-on-one we will have more with Delaware Valley University Athletic Director Dave Duda right after this. Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter. But every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers, and change makers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back, our guest this week on one-on-one, Delaware Valley University Athletic Director Dave Duda. So you go from 0-23 your first year, and in two years you, you've you got that to 500, and I think it was the first non-losing season in over a decade. How does the Widener opportunity, that's the next step, how does that come come about?
1: Yeah, it was, it was unique, uh, because I was sitting in my office about the same time in March. Uh, and you know, Widener had gone through a transition because it was an ugly situation because, uh, you know, C. Allen Rowe had been let go. And obviously he was a, a legendary coach at Widener. And I was in my office one day and Herb actually called me and said, he got off the phone with the athletic director at Widener at the time, uh, who said, Hey, you think Dave would have any interest? And, um, You know, it wasn't a job that I applied for or anything like that. And I just said, you know, what do you think? And he said, look, you know, my, the the mentors I always go to, you know, Phil and Herb said to me, look, you got to take a look at that. And, you know, Phil was a graduate of Widener and said, look, you want to win a national championship. That's a place where it's been done before. Uh, You can do it. And uh, I met and I went and met with the people at Widener and um, certainly they were a little more ahead of the game in terms of facilities and academic offerings at that time. And it was a similar situation, Matt, really, because I was inheriting. I inherited there a six win team. Uh, um, but, you know, having just gone through it and said, well, you know, I, I don't think it'll take that long. Uh, I didn't exactly have a timeline, um, but that's really what precipitated uh, the move to Widen.
0: So how did you approach that first year as Widener? compared to that first year at DelVal? Or I should say, what did you take from that DelVal experience to accelerate things at Widener?
1: Well, it was similar because, uh, you know, the first thing you do is you evaluate the team. And I said, well, this roster is going to have to be upgraded. I had one player, Chris Hightower, um, who was a kid from St. Joe's Prep, who was a freshman at Widener, had a really good year. I knew I wanted to keep him, but he was very, very integral. He was the be- one of the best captains I ever had. And he integrated the kids that I had coming in. And remember, a lot of the kids uh, that I were recruiting at Del Valle, I didn't have to make up a new recruiting list that was still Division three kids. I would have recruited them at any school at that level. So the transition, I was a, a really ahead of the game because um, it was the same type of recruiting. I didn't have to change levels or locations or anything like that. And uh, I was really excited about that first recruiting class. And obviously what they did there was... Uh, terrific they were such a great core group uh going forward and uh, again there was no timeline there, but we made the playoffs in year one and you know year two we won twenty four games and I think we were as high as sixth or seventh in the country at one point um so uh I was really proud of that group and what they were able to do
0: were you surprised at all at how quickly that success came or did it make did did you you know, what you were doing, you felt you know, like this, this is how it should work. We should be at this level.
1: Well, the difference there, Matt, was, um, I was hired by Bob Bruce, who was the president, a fantastic president. And, and, um, he let you know in the interview process, he goes, Dave, you're coming here to win. I want to win. We have a level of expectation. That's not heard at all D3 schools. Like that. that's exactly how he spoke. And, um, so I knew what the expectations were. And, you know, when you look at the history of Widener, they were in the NCAA, you, you go walk in the gym, there's a lot of tournament banners hanging up on the wall. So that's the expectation there than it was both football and basketball in addition to some other sports. So I had that in my mind right away, but I had the same mindset with Del DelVal. I, I wasn't I wasn't anticipating Del DelVal just being OK, being 500. You know, my next year there, I was hoped that we could have won the league. So I knew what we can do. And um, what I say, it was a little easier, not effort wise, but I mean, the academic offerings helped a little bit more at Widener, and the reputation helped a little bit more. But very, very similar uh, approaches.
0: So eight years as head coach at Widener. I want to talk about the AD angle in, in a second. But uh, three trips to the NCAA tournament, Sweet 16 in 2006. When you think to that time at Widener, what are the memories that are right at the top of the list for you?
1: Wow, well, you know, I think there. Matt, it really made me who I am today, the whole place. Um, I loved it from top to bottom, not just the basketball coaching part of it. I went through two presidents. They were both fantastic. I had terrific bosses in both both places. It's unbelievable support. Uh, I met so many great people. And then when I became the athletic director there, I was also on the senior leadership team. And I don't ever think I learned more in a four year period from people that just weren't in basketball. I mean, from academic deans to uh, you know, influential people all over the campus of just how how you gave me a global view of how a department and a university works. Uh, it really it helped me grow. It helped me grow as a leader, not just as a leader coaching basketball, but a, in a leader of people in many other areas.
0: So, about halfway through, you do take on the title of athletic director. In addition. Uh, how big a step was that, and how did that change your day-to-day?
1: I'll tell you what. The first year, I was awful. I was awful, man. Uh, It was the only year my team never made the playoffs, and you know we had all kinds of injuries, and everybody on campus blamed it on that. Well, if you had this guy, yeah, I know. But uh, for the first time, I I didn't manage everything. I, I was really poor at delegating. I wanted to do everything myself. I wanted to convince everybody that I could do this job. And for the first time i was exhausted at the end of the year like physically and mentally exhausted and i went to my boss uh joe baker who was terrific and i said joe i, I have to restructure and he allowed me to do some things and um we changed the department a little bit and i had two great assistant ad's Louisa gillespie and jack schaefer jack is now the ad at widener and uh, i was able to delegate to them because i knew i trusted them and uh, year two, three, and four were very, very smooth in the transition. But year, year one, I did not feel I did a very, very good job there because I didn't have the right handle on on all the duties. And my team suffered, and I still feel bad for that team. That was the one team I, I think didn't max out uh, in my time at Widener.
0: So your last year at Widener is here. You guys go to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. Uh, what was that ride like?
1: Well, you know, it was for, for me, uh, because I thought I had other teams that should have gotten to that level, and the thing that frustrates you at Division Three is it's really not a national tournament. It's much more of a national tournament now. When I was there, it was more of a regional tournament. And, uh, like, for example, so my first team that went, I thought they had a shot to win the national title. We played F&M in the, first, in the second round. We got a bye in the first round. F&M went to the Final Four. But if you look nationally – both of us were top 10 in the country playing a second round game. My second team that went, same situation. We had a bye. We played Catholic. Catholic won the national championship. We played in the second round. We lost to FM by, by three and lost that Catholic by one. But that's how close you are to winning a national championship. Yet you're playing a game in the second round of the NCAA tournament, which wouldn't happen in today's world. And I thought that, you know, that sweet 16 run. Um, I was so proud of that team because they had to go to York, who was fourth in the country. York had won 33 straight, and we beat them to advance to the Sweet 16. Uh, and even in the Sweet 16 game, uh, my best player, first team All-American Christian Clarkson, played two bad games all year, the first game of the season and the last game of the season. Not his fault. I mean, obviously, he just uh, came up a little short uh, in what he, what his norm was. But it was a terrific run by that by that team that team was really a lot of fun to coach
0: so then you go from Widener and you go to serve with your high school coach Phil Martelli as an assistant at St. Joe's uh was this a situation of it it was a simple phone call and and you made the decision how the transition to that come
1: now you know what what precipitated it, Matt. when i been my time at Widener um I I interviewed for a lower level division one job because of the success we had at Widener and it was really what the athletic director told me at the end of the process that made me make the move. He was great, the athletic director. And he said to me at the end, he said, Dave, the committee thought you could do it. I think you can do it. He goes, but we're going to hire a BCS assistant coach. And part of this is I have to win the press conference. And I said to him at the time, I said, yeah, but don't you think... You have to imagine, you have to hope that that guy could be a head coach. At least with me, I have a track record of being a successful head coach. He said, Dave, I totally understand it, but there's more to it at this level. And at that time, I started thinking to myself, well, I could go to the NCAA tournament three more times here at Widener, win X amount of games. It's not going to get me over that hurdle. I didn't have Division One on my on my resume. So when Phil had an opening, uh, you know, there was a common interest in I was so thrilled to go there. I, I didn't think I would be there for, I thought it would happen a lot quicker, uh, than it did. So did Phil. Um, but you really realize when you're at that level, how difficult it is to get one of those jobs because it's not like being an accountant or a school teacher. There's only X amount of jobs that you can get both regionally and level wise, you know, coming from a school like St. Joe's. Um, so I had, a I I had many opportunities was close a number of times, but, um, like every job, uh, Matt, it's really about getting an opportunity and what you can do with it.
0: How tough was it? You've been a head coach now at this point for for mm-hmm. a decade, and you, in addition to the head coach, you've been in a, the athletic director. How tough was it going from kind of the final decision maker to 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 being an assistant again? Was, did you find yourself having to catch yourself sometimes?
1: I did, but I think that a couple things, I think being an assistant before and being a head coach, you get both perspectives. And I always told my assistants, and this is how I approached the job, I said, I want you to approach the job as you are the head coach. Treat it like you're the head coach. Treat it like every decision is yours. Treat it as, you know, even though you're not making the ultimate decision. And there was such a trust with Phil and myself that he gave me a lot of rope. I could never, I could never ask for more. Uh, he trusted me. Uh, we had a lot of great conversations, some difficult conversations during that time when we weren't doing so well. Um, but he trusted me in every regard. So maybe at other places it would, it would have been harder, Matt, or more difficult working with other guys who are more uh, taskmaster kind of guys. Um, but I, no, I that was, a, that was a terrific uh, run with Phil. I, I enjoyed every day.
0: And I asked you about Widener. what are some of the memories because you guys had a lot of success uh three NCAA tournaments couple of a ten titles when you think about your time uh with Saint Joe's what's at the top of the list for mem- memories there
1: well I think the championships the, there's nothing like it because there's so much pressure to win and then there's the, the you know the thrill of knowing that your name's gonna get called um on Selection Sunday and then being able to share it with my family. You know, my 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 son is a freshman or a sophomore uh, basketball player at East Stroudsburg, you know, and he was, uh, when we won those two titles, he was in seventh grade and ninth grade and to see the joy that it brought him and uh, how it promoted his love for the game and uh, growing up in the gym around that, uh, that was special because Phil allowed the families to share in it as well. So you didn't feel like you were. So much. You were away from your family, but your family was all a part of it, which was, uh, you know, his family first environment meant a lot.
0: How frustrating. The last few years are at St. Joe's before the change is made. I thought there might not have been a team in the country that lost more to injury than you guys and it wasn't just the number of injuries it was who got injured from a coaching standpoint i understand next man up and all that but it has to hit a point where, like, my goodness if we could just get a couple of months with all these kids healthy it could be a lot of fun
1: yeah and that's how you plan it you know you know you know uh you look back and you say hey the years that we wanted you didn't have any of those injuries it was fun you could grow you could develop and um you know i'm not one of those guys you know um you know, about crying sour milk and a you know, feel for me and what was because we never did that. But it, but ultimately, when you sit down as coaches behind closed doors, you do say, hey, you know, th- this roster is just gonna, not going to get it done because that's a very good league. When you're playing Dayton, VCU and UMass and St. Louis night in, night out and you're, you're minus three big guns, you just can't. You, you don't have enough guys. You just, you know, it's not Kentucky. It's not not North Carolina. It's not any other kind of places. You just don't have enough. So it does get frustrating. And it got to a point where you're like, not again, you know, not, not because we had some kids who it was their second time. We're like, not again. And you feel for the kids first because they put so much into it at that level in so much time. Um, yeah, but you did. I mean, it, it's just human nature. You don't, you know, you don't give in on game day, but, you know, when you're alone by yourself, you say, wow, this is, this is tough to, to do with with what we have.
0: So when it did come, they made when St. Joe's makes the change and, and parts ways with Phil and everybody has to go, how difficult was that? Was it something, I don't know if you ever expect it, but had you guys kind of braced yourself that, that something could be coming down the road?
1: I don't know. It was always in the back of my mind, Matt, but I'll, I'll be honest. When it happens, everybody, you know, deals with it their own way. For me, The hardest part was, you know, for the first time in my career, that was very, very successful. Someone in so many words said, you're not good enough. And uh, the hurt, the hurt really came from uh, how many people I felt I let down. You know, first you let yourself down, then you let your family down. You know, I feel like I let Phil down. I felt like, um, you know, you let all the great people that you met there, because I met way more great people at St. Joe's than I did the other way. And you feel like you let them down. You let the players down. You know, I I felt for a time, you know, even with my friends, I feel like, am I wearing the scarlet letter, so to speak? You know, like you're walking around with this L on your chest. And, um, you know, not that anybody felt that way because it it happens all the time. But um, that was the hardest part for me, just feeling like, man, did I let a lot of people down here. And, um, you know, and there's a part of the emotional scar that I, I don't, I don't know if I'll, I'll, i have obviously recovered, but, I, but that there's like a scar that, um, will always be there.
0: So after that, you do land at Del DelVal. We've talked about the, the gig at Del DelVal. How much do you miss coaching? I'm sure the job keeps you very busy, but how much do you miss the day to day of being a, being a coach?
1: Well, it's the first time in 30 years I don't have my own team, um, you know, that I'm, I'm following and coaching and guiding and those kinds of things. But this has been good because there's, there was a lot of stuff to fix here at Del Val and I work for great people who've given me a lot to do. Um, you know, and I still have my son's season to watch. and so that, that fills some of the void, but it has been unique. Um, with that and for the first time in my life matt i kind of live day to day i've always been a planner where i want to be next month or that week or that week and uh i kind of do this day to day but um it's been a big challenge at Delval, and I, I work for great people like chris uh with chris and um i enjoy it i really do it's it's been a challenge obviously i wish we weren't dealing with what we're dealing with covid that kind of challenge but it it, it has filled uh, a good portion of the void
0: so you mentioned your son playing for East Stroudsburg. How difficult is it to, you know, how do you juggle? Uh, you're a coach, being a dad, you know, not going too far. He's got a coach. It can be tricky sometimes.
1: Yeah, you know, I used to break down the video for him of his games. Uh, that's the beauty of it because I didn't see a whole lot of them in person. Uh, during his high school career. So I'd break down the table. He'd always say, dad, it's always negative. He only show him but I was always trying to make him a better player, like like I would all of my players. And, um, but I was, there were, you know, there were days I you just have to be dad, where he has a bad game or he struggles or he's really happy. And again, there were days, multiple days where St. Joe's and his high school team played at the same time and my team lost and his team won or vice versa obviously you hope for both teams winning in the same day so um but he knew he he felt the pain when we lost and i felt it when he lost um so it's unique and um i wouldn't have had it any other way and i don't think he would have either
0: dave duda thanks so much for joining me this was a lot of fun
1: matt great catching up uh stay safe out there and hope to see you again down the down the line
0: and that will do it for this episode of One on One. Want to thank Delaware Valley University Athletic Director Dave Duda for being our guest. Now, if you like this show and you want to help us out and you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Leon 1060 Thanks again for listening and tune in again next time for another conversation with someone you should know more about.